0: I want to continue our study today on going forward with God that has come out of this just recent Passover Resurrection Sunday celebration, the Moed, that we just celebrated a few weeks ago. And the question we've been asking ourselves is, after we repent of our sins and receive God— Then, what do we do? How do we live our lives? What is our purpose? What do we do differently after we're born again than we did before we knew Christ? And Scripture gives us very clear instruction. Church, this is a huge topic, and I'm kind of picking and choosing Some major themes as I'm impressed to to this, this year. But one of the keys to living a fruitful life. Everyone say a fruitful life. Not everyone said that. See, one of the keys is being obedient. Hallelujah. And several of you were not obedient. So let's say that again. A fruitful life. So one of the keys to living a fruitful life that is pleasing to God is that you do not put your confidence in flesh. Not your own flesh or another's flesh, but you put your confidence in God. You put Your trust in God. May I hear an amen, church? This is such a key. And we see that as we read the third chapter of the book of Philippians. Paul, in the first nine verses, is telling us how it used to be, particularly from verse 4. He's talking about what he used to put his confidence in what he used to trust in, and he's realized after coming to faith in Christ that he cannot put his confidence in the same things that he used to. This is from the Passion Translation. So it's going to sound very different from the King James or New King James or NIV. This had some phrases I really like beginning with verse 4 Paul writes it's true that I once relied on all that I had become in other words Paul is saying it's true that I once used to place my confidence in my flesh I had a reason to boast and impress people with my accomplishments more than others for my pedigree was impeccable. In other words, Paul stood at the top of the pinnacle of society and education and uh, the offices that he held. His pedigree, his credentials were impeccable. You couldn't go any higher. I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel as the son of a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised eight days after my birth and was raised in the strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living a separated and devout life as a Pharisee. And concerning the righteousness of the Torah, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, beginning with Genesis. No one surpassed me. In other words, no one was more obedient than Paul was. I was without peer. Furthermore, as a fiery defender of the truth, I persecuted the church The Messianic believers, because see, all the believers back then were Jews with religious zeal. Yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken them. And I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. In other words, one of the first things Paul learned after coming to the knowledge of God and coming to faith in Christ is, oh, all the things I once valued so much. My family line. Paul was from a great family in Israel. My education. Paul was highly educated. Uh, His own self-righteousness. Paul was righteous in that he did everything he knew to do to obey the Torah or the word of God that was revealed at that time. He said, I was impeccable in my credentials, but since coming to Christ, I have learned I can't trust in the things of the flesh at all. I cannot trust in my degree. I cannot put my trust in the family that I was born into. I cannot trust my education. I cannot put faith in the people I know and my friends and my associates. I can't put my trust in anything regarding the flesh since I've come to Christ And so he said in the very last verse, verse 7, I've now forsaken them, and I regard it all as nothing. And church, that's a decision all of us have to make. I don't care where we come from, who our tribe is, what level of education we have, how important we may be in society, how wealthy we may be, we have to view it all as nothing compared to knowing Christ. Church, that is a very significant attitude. I know in religious circles... Sometimes we come across things that are not scriptural. And people look at you, and they look at your title. And if you're called Pastor Davies, and not Bishop Davies, it is thought, oh, you, you are nothing. You have not, oh, you're just an errand boy. If you're called Pastor Carla, church, I will always be pastor. I will always be pastor. I think it's such an honor to be called pastor. this, This is an honor. But in so many religious circles, if you're not called bishop, you are nothing. I am telling you, and there let there be fire in my words. We are not here to show off. We are not here to build our own kingdom. I am here to build the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the archbishop, the bishop. He's the most high the head of the church, and I am an under-shepherd. Do you understand what I'm saying? Church, I'm not here to build my own kingdom, my own name, my own reputation, my own fame. Are you with me? You have to count all of that as very useless. I'm not saying we don't have honor. I'm not saying we don't walk in honor toward men, but I'm talking about wrong motivation, wrong ambition, wrong thinking. And I want you to get on the same page with me. Paul is saying, if anybody had a reason to boast, he had a reason to boast. But he said, I cannot boast, and I will not boast in anything save Jesus Christ my Lord. And in some circles, the thing that makes you a bishop, Is that you drive a big car? Oh, they have a big car. They're a bishop. Oh, they've got a Mercedes. Oh, they've got a Range Rover. Oh, they've got this and that. Oh, look at that. And and they're called bishop. And do you know, if you don't have a Range Rover and a Mercedes, others look down their nose at you like you're not a real bishop. What false motivation. How awful and ungodly is that? I want to give you a surprising piece of news this may surprise some of you but Jesus did not have a Range Rover (laughs) he did not have a Mercedes he walked most everywhere he went and when he arrived in Jerusalem just prior to his crucifixion he had to tell his men, go tell that shop owner over there that the master has need of his donkey. And he rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. Yet, He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Savior, our King, our Deliverer. He's the Most High, and he rode into Jerusalem facing crucifixion on a borrowed donkey. Don't tell me you have to drive a Mercedes To have any authority in the kingdom of God. Now I'll tell you what gives you authority in the kingdom of God. It's the word of God. And I'll tell you what gives you authority in the kingdom of God. Church. It is the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life. Yet in our generation. So, 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 so many are deceived. And they follow men who have not done what Paul tells us to do, which is count the things of the flesh as nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Now, I'm not saying every preacher ought to walk. Church, I don't want to walk. Do you understand what I'm saying But it's where we put our value. It is what we highly esteem in our heart. And you'll never get this right. And you'll never have a kingdom of God set of values unless you put Jesus Christ as the Most High and His Word before everything else in your life heaven and earth will pass away. That Mercedes will rust. That Range Rover will rust. The tires will go flat. They run out of gas. I'll tell you, they are tools of the gospel. But they themselves are not to have more value in our lives than they deserve to have. We're not to esteem men higher because they drive a Range Rover. We're not to think that makes them more anointed or spiritual because they drive a Range Rover. No, they may have stolen the money to buy the Range Rover. Are you with me, church? And all of uh, everything concerning their life will be burned up in the judgment. If not here on earth, at least in the eternal judgment all their name, their reputation, possessions, everything they said, I'm doing this for the kingdom of God, I'm doing that for the kingdom of God, all of that will be burned up because they did not have a kingdom of God value system where they valued the word where they valued knowing God, where they valued the works of Christ on behalf of men more than, you know, whatever a politician says he'll do or whatever a a preacher says he'll do, yet he doesn't do. Church, are you with me? Valuing the Word of God Above everything that we value in this earth. You put your confidence in God alone. You may get a new car and I'll rejoice with you and pray over your new car. But I'm not putting confidence in in that car. Are you with me, church? So, Philippians 3 and verses 4 through 7, Paul tells us, I was at the pinnacle of everything that men value. I had it and I was it. But I learned after meeting Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord that these are not the things at all that matter. In fact, one translation calls these fleshly, carnal, natural things dog dung in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as my savior and our lord church what does this say what what are these scriptures telling us we need a new value system a kingdom of god value system where we are not self-centered and self-congratulatory congratulating ourselves one another on Uh, fleshly accomplishments perhaps that don't even involve God. Before we come into the kingdom of God, I guarantee you we're all self-centered. We're self-congratulatory. I've done this, so proud of this and proud of that. Church, we can become very impressed with ourselves. Are you with me? But Paul closely observed The outward demands of the law. But he did not know God. So we can come to church. We can bring our Bibles. um, We can say we're Christians. We may outwardly look like Christians. But inwardly we do not know God because we do not know his word. You cannot know God apart from knowing his word. So Paul is revealing some very important keys here and one of the primary ones is what he used to value after he came to Christ he could no longer value. He considered it nothing. These things are nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. And so some keys... That are revealed in scripture. Church today I really want to deal with attitudes. And motives. You know some people will even come and say. I want to get in the word of God. Because I want to prosper. Well do you know God has prosperity for us. And he says beloved I wish above all things. That you would prosper. And be in health. Even as your soul prospers. It is the will of God for you to prosper. But do you know you will not prosper without knowing God. So, knowing God, seeking the knowledge of God, seeking to know the ways of God becomes our primary pursuit after we're Christians. That means we're going to have to have a value change take place. We're going to have to have attitude changes taking place. Church, may I hear an amen. So, number one, we consider, Paul tells us, everything lost compared to knowing Christ. In other words, nothing in our lives is as valuable as knowing Christ. Nothing in our lives can compare to knowing God. Knowing his heart, knowing his thoughts, knowing his attitudes, knowing his character, knowing his desires, knowing his will, nothing in this life can compare to knowing God and church you, you need to begin to believe that and say that and begin to confess nothing in my life is as important to me as knowing God begin to speak that out of your mouth and make any value adjustments or attitude adjustments that you need to to make one of the reasons God gave the believer what Romans 12 calls the measure of faith. Everyone say the measure of faith. One of the reasons God gave us the measure of faith when we were born again was because we must use our faith to know him. Knowing him will not happen for you unless you use your faith to know him. Unless... You believe. Father, I believe as I open the word of God this morning, I release my faith that you and I will meet heart to heart. And that as I read the scripture, you will reveal yourself to me. Father, I believe when we come to the close of our communion, I will know you better. I'm asking, Father, reveal yourself to me. Church, that's so important, that we use our faith to know God. We pray and ask to know God. You have not because you ask not. Church, you can't just take the Bible. I I can remember before I was born again, you know, I, I was a good Methodist girl I went to church every Sunday, every time the doors were open. And we would have our Bibles, and it was like we carried them, Elder Francis. We did not read them. And one reason we did not read them is because I would open the Bible, and I would try, and it's like, what does this say? What does this mean? I had no light, no understanding. I could not comprehend The word of God. Why? I wasn't born again. But after I was born again, God gives us the measure of faith to receive Christ. Church, if you say yes to Jesus, God gives you the measure of faith to be born again. And you begin using that measure of faith to know God. You begin releasing your faith and saying, I'm growing in knowing my Heavenly Father. You have to use your faith. You pray. You, you pray. I wrote this down just as a prayer. But, but you always pray out of your heart. Father, I pray to know you. I ask that you would open my eyes to see you, know you, and experience you. I cry out for revelation knowledge of who you are. And that I may know you better than I know anyone or anything in this world. In other words, go to the word. If you want to know God, go to the word of God and release your faith to see into the word of God. It's not just going to happen accidentally. Church, you may get a little light here and a little light there. Pastor Davies may say something and you say, oh, I see that. Elder Francis may say something and you say, oh, I see that. But man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's not enough to grow and have a fruitful, productive, prosperous life. To hear a little something from one and a little something from another, yet you're not seeking to know God in your private time for yourself. You're coming to church, but church, it's very important that we understand we have to use our faith to know God, we have to believe to know God. We ask Him to open our eyes and open our ears. Father, give me a heart that comprehends spiritual realities. Give me a heart that hears from heaven. I ask you, Father, do the work in my heart that you need to do so that I may hear from heaven. Church, don't use your faith for a new car and a new house and a husband or a wife until you've used your faith. To know God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then number two. We see. The importance. Of. An attitude change. So that we devote. Ourselves. To intimacy. With God. Intimacy speaks of extreme closeness. I cannot say that I am, for example, intimate with President Uhuru Kenyatta. First of all, I've never met him. But have I seen him? Yes. Have I seen his picture? Yes. Have I read articles about him? Yes. But do I know him? Do I have a... And uh, uh, intimacy with him that I could call him my friend. No, church. I've never even met him. Well, when we're born again, we meet Jesus. But we go on to develop our relationship with him through the word of God. Church, you're not going far in this Christian life till you devote yourself to intimacy, that is close communion, close friendship with God. You will not go far, you will not achieve much, and you will not bear much fruit until you become devoted to intimacy with God. Now, I don't know if you have that desire for intimacy with God, Many Christians don't have much of a desire to spend time in the Word of God. Now, they have a deep desire for the 7 o'clock news, the 9 o'clock news. They can't go to bed till they've watched the 11 o'clock news. And they have a deep desire for the nation newspaper every morning. I'm saying every morning morning there is this hunger and thirst and desire for the nation newspaper and the standard newspaper name some of the newspapers on the street pastor davies maybe maybe even more for these the nairobian the nairobian <laughs> tina do you know another one the people The people, oh, not one of those newspapers can escape them. They must have them. They must read them. I mean, there is an intense desire to read the next saga of this politician and that girlfriend of this politician and and the other politician that's interfering in their relationship and what's going on it with everyone's personal life and and with the celebrities and so on I mean a real deep driven desire to know all about that yet they are not devoted to intimacy with God. They have no such desire for the Word of God. Church, I, I want to give you a key. If today you do not have much hunger to hear the Word, in fact, it, it's very interesting to watch people. Very often, if we have a lively praise and worship service. No one has more beautiful smiles than Kenyans. And it gratifies me so much to see everyone happy and smiling. And we've really participated in praise and worship. But five minutes after we begin the word begins their Sunday afternoon nap. (laughs) They may have listened to the first scripture. And now we're, we're expounding on that first scripture. But today it was long and some didn't make it through to the end. <laughs> Till verse 7. Church, are you with me? And so there. this is such a key. Is that we develop a deep desire for the word. Where we've got strong desires for other things. Maybe Maybe we've got a soap opera we cannot miss. Everyone knows, don't call at that time, they're watching their soap opera. All the kids know, don't even interrupt mama. It doesn't matter what happens, it can wait till this is over. The children know, don't disturb mama. The husband knows, he dare not open his mouth during that soap opera. So they have a deep desire for that. But when you have deep desires that drive you and consume your time like that, church, you're probably going to have kidogo, kidogo, desire for the word. I'm not getting any amens, but it's the truth. So this is a primary key to knowing God. You have to develop a desire for the word of God. God will give you that desire. Go ahead and identify those things in your life that you desire more than the Word of God and and, and bring that before God and admit it to Him. Father, I admit it. I, I can't miss this soap opera, but there are many days I don't have time to read your Word. I don't find time. I don't make time to read your word, but I can't miss the newspaper, I can't miss the news, but I give very little attention to your word. So church, this uh, step number one, you have to count everything else as loss compared to the priceless privilege of knowing Christ. That's step one. As we move into knowing God. And number two. You have to develop a desire for the word of God. That is developed. Other things go from your life. While you make time and room in your life. For the word of God. Maybe you spend so much time on social media. I mean. Every five minutes, you're picking up your phone. Do you know I see people like that? I I have actually visited with people. They could not put their iPad down. They could not put their telephone down. If they did put it down, it was to go to the kitchen and get something or to go to the restroom and come back. And first thing they did was pick it right back up. And it's hour after hour After hour in social media. And then one of them will lift their head and say. Carla do you have anything you want to share with us from the Lord? And it's like. Well I'm not sure what kind of ground this word is going to fall on. Why? Because there's been no demonstration of a deep desire for the word of God. Church if you want to bear have a fruitful life and have the word bear fruit in your life and go from glory to glory and 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 accomplish much that will bring glory and honor to the Lord in your life you have to develop a deep desire for the word of God I told you this another week I recommend you get up early Let me tell you something about the flesh. If you don't make a plan, your flesh will continue to rule you. I'll know you're serious about the Word of God when I ask you, what is your plan for being in the Word of God? You can't tell me, oh, Pastor, I just I, I, I just try to make time for the Word. I... I, I Look for an opening somewhere in my day. I'm I'm looking, Pastor, I'm looking for an opening to read the Word of God. No, let me tell you, you have to be very intentional about the Word of God. Intentional means you make a plan. Intentional means this is in My daily plan, I get up at whatever time it is, it may be 4, it may be 4.30, it may be 5. I get up, I go to the Word of God. I put the Word of God first place in my life. Church, are you with me? If you're not very deliberate about developing this desire for the Word of God, it will always elude you. It will always be vague to you. You'll always be, well, I I hope I find time. I, I, I hope there's a break in the day and I can read the word for a few minutes. No, if you don't make a plan, I promise you, the devil will see to it that your day is full. So step number two is devote yourself to intimacy with God. If you're devoted, you'll make a plan. If you're devoted, you'll have a strategy. Now, some days I spend more time in the Word than others. Some days, you know, I'm busy. Some days I'm doing other things. But every day, church, be devoted to intimacy with God. Ask for the desire to, to be with Him. Ask for the desire for the word of God. You'll bear kidogo sana fruit without the word, church. Kidogo sana. This is such a major key to a fruitful Christian life. Ask for the desire. Ask God. Create. The desire. Father, you know the desires of my heart. You know I've got some strong desires in my heart. Some of them are even ungodly. They're unprofitable in my life. Yet they keep drawing me. I keep going back to them. Father, I'll admit it to you. I enjoy doing this thing. I mean, just be open. Just be honest with God. I enjoy this. And yet I don't enjoy being in your word like I enjoy doing this thing. I'm asking you to help me.
1: I'm asking
0: you to work in my heart. I'm asking you to create the desire for your word in my heart. And Father, I'm asking that I would eventually be among those who love you and seek you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that I can truly say, Father, I want to get to the point that I can truly say, I love you, and I love my neighbor with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. However, Father, I recognize I'm not there today. I need your help. I need you to work in my heart. I need you to change my heart. Church, let me say, pray to know God personally pray to know God personally Philippians 3 and verses 12 through 15 say this again is the passion translation I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing but I run with passion into this abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have this same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. In other words, church, our hearts are to be gripped with desires to know God. We're to be gripped with a desire to fulfill his purpose. We're to be gripped with passion and desire to reach the heavenly goal. Can you say amen? Everyone say heavenly goal. Church, that's the heavenly destiny that God has for you and he has for me. A mark of Christian maturity. A mark that you're growing in Christ is wholehearted, intense focus on knowing God. You are wholehearted in knowing God. That is Christian maturity. Church, you have passion for His Word and for His presence. When you have passion for other things, when you'd rather go watch a football game, when you'd rather meet with your friends and be out till 2 a.m. laughing and joking and doing heaven knows what, but when that's your passion, you are not a mature Christian. One of the marks of a mature Christian is you have a passion for the word, and a passion for the presence of God. If you don't have that today, that means other desires are gripping your heart. And those other desires will not lead you in the way of righteousness. I'm I'm not even saying some of them are a sin. It's, It's not a sin to go watch a football game but if you put watching a football game ahead of the word of God, now I have an issue with that. Church, are you with me? We're talking about bringing divine order into your heart, into your motives, into your desires, and into your will. A person who has passion for the word, and passion for the presence of God, seeks God, studies the Word, listens to the Word, prays, and then acts on what God is revealing to them. The book of Ephesians is one of my very favorite books. In fact, for quite some time, I've had this thought occurring to me as a church. It's like this thought keeps coming up to me. Pray through the book of Ephesians. I wonder what God would do if we as a church body prayed through the book of Ephesians. The theme of the book of Ephesians is the riches of knowing Christ. That's the theme of the book. The riches of knowing Christ. Church let me say knowing God is the source of every blessing. Let's say that together. Knowing God is the source of every blessing. If you wonder where are my blessings? Well I'm giving you a key right here. Knowing God is The source of every blessing. When you were born again. Into the family of God. You were born. Into riches. All kinds of riches. Through receiving Jesus Christ. And knowing him. We share in Christ's riches. We share together in the grace of God but it comes through receiving him and knowing him it's not just receiving Christ the things of God do not automatically happen in the life of a Christian receiving him is not enough the next step is knowing him Ephesians 1 7 in the passion translation says since we are now joined to Christ We have been given the treasures of redemption by His blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of His grace. When you see that word, cascading riches of His grace, the word cascading means overflow. It's an overabundance. I looked the word up, And it says it's like a waterfall. Think of Victoria Falls. Think of Niagara Falls in New York. It's an overflow of the riches of the kingdom of God is made available to us. But how does that come to us? It's through receiving Christ and knowing Christ. When you were born again, you were born rich. Well, where are our riches then? If I'm born rich, where are our riches? Ephesians 1, 3 says, they're in heavenly places in Christ. So how do I access the riches of the grace of God? I access them through Christ. Church, we receive the riches of Christ by faith. And it is the Holy Spirit who channels every blessing to us from the Father through the Son. The riches of God are every kind of blessing. Spiritual blessings, mental blessings, physical blessings, relational blessings, family blessings, business blessings, material blessings, church blessings, community blessings... Every kind of blessing comes to us through the Holy Spirit. But it all starts with the spiritual blessing of knowing God. Every blessing comes to us through knowing God. Church, if you don't know God, you don't even know about the blessings. You can't receive something by faith, you don't even know it exists. So the blessings are hidden with Christ in God, and we access these blessings through knowing God. It all starts with the spiritual blessing of knowing God. And as we come into the knowledge of God, I want to bring a third key to you. All of these are major keys to knowing God and Growing in God. A third key is the process of repentance. That we will experience if we're going to live in the knowledge of God. Now when I say the word repentance, a lot of people don't like that word. But let me tell you, you'll never have the blessings without repentance. They think, well, that's going to cost me something. See, you don't have the right value system yet because Paul said, I count all of that as nothing. So see, when you say, oh, that's going to cost me something, that tells me you're still depending on the flesh. You're still valuing fleshly things more than you value the word of god now there are processes of repentance when we first come to god as sinners all of us came to god we were sinners and we repent of our sin I always recommend when you lead someone to christ have them repent of their sins that is a critical step in submitting their heart to God and having that burden of sin lifted from their lives. So when we first come to God, we repent of our sins and surrender our lives to Jesus. But there's another part to repentance. And God forgives us when, when we come to Him. All of our records. The record of our sins, we're told in the book of Colossians, is wiped clean and our sins are no longer held against us by God. But church, there's another part to repentance. And that is being willing to change the way we live our lives on earth. So there's a second part of repentance when people who do surveys have asked Christians, what, "What, how do you define repentance? What does repentance mean to you? In this survey, most people said repentance means to feel really sorry that I did something bad. A second reply was to feel really bad really bad about what I did. And, and to most people that is repentance. Yet, repentance isn't a feeling church. Hear me well. Repentance isn't a feeling for a past action. It's not feeling sorrow. It's not feeling grief. It's not feeling bad about myself. That isn't repentance. Judas felt terrible after he betrayed Jesus, but he didn't repent. He went and hung himself. Peter felt terrible that he denied the Lord three times, but Peter repented, and he was restored. Are you with me? So then, what is Repentance. What? How significant is repentance to the believer? I've heard preachers preacher say, I've heard it. We don't repent for our sins anymore. I beg to differ. There's that record of my sins that's been wiped away. Hallelujah. That's in the spirit. That's God's bookkeeping. You understand? But I want victory on this side, in this life, I want God involved in the affairs of this life. And do you know, church, that means I'm going to have to repent in, for some of the ways I've been accustomed to living. So repentance has very much to do with the believer. In fact, Matthew 3, 2, in the modern English version says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is not just to be born again. But church, there, there are many decisions the believer will make whether to go on with God or to continue living life perhaps in a way that is not profitable. It will not bear the fruit of the kingdom of God. So there are many decisions a believer will make. Listen to the Passion Translation, Matthew 3, 2. The realm of heaven's kingdom is about to appear, so you'd better keep turning away from evil and turn back to God. I like that. What is repentance? It means throughout our lives we keep turning away from evil. We don't just repent when we're born again. No, as I live my Christian life and I walk with God, I keep turning away from evil. The word repent literally means to change the mind. It doesn't mean grieve and then go and do the same thing again. Repent means to change the mind. It means to turn, to change one's attitudes and ways. Church, that's so important. Change of attitude and ways. In other words, behavior changes. Our ways change. It means a complete, radical, and total change. To repent means to turn entirely around in the way one is thinking and you begin to think like God. You agree with God. That's repentance. It means to change from the top to the bottom. Church, let me tell you, when we're born again, God wants to make changes from the top to the bottom. Are you with me? You're very quiet. It's a total transformation that holy W-H-O-L-L-Y, affects every part of a person's life. The reason repentance is still needful, let me ask this question. Is there a part of your life that has not yet been affected by the Word of God? Is there a part of your life that you know it needs to change? Is there a part of your thinking that you know is not faith thinking, it's fear thinking? Church, is there a part of your life that you know good and well? No one has to tell you, you know very well, you've not submitted that part of your life to God. Oh, we're quiet today. So it means... That from top to bottom, don't think you can keep part of your life. This is my private life, Father. This is my private time. This is my business. This is no one else's business what I'm doing. I'm not hurting anybody. This is just me. No, from top, everyone say, from top to bottom. Go ahead and reach up, church. Let's say it together. Ready? From top to bottom, God wants to transform our lives. It will happen through the Word of God. You begin to change your uh, will. You begin to change your thinking. You begin obeying the Word of God in ways that you've never obeyed the Word of God before. Maybe you've never tithed before. I'm telling you, tithing is for the believer. It's, it's one of the laws of financial and uh, really it affects every level of our prosperity. Every level of our prosperity. Every level of our success. And repentance means you ask God to forgive you for not tithing. And you become committed. I'm I'm going to be obedient to the word of God. So it's changing our thinking. And becoming obedient. You change your mind. You change your will. You change your opinion. You change how you think. You change your ways. You change how you talk. And how you behave. Church this takes time for each of us. In fact as long as. As we live on earth, God will be dealing with our lives to bring us in to maturity as sons of God. This takes time. So there is a repentance that is necessary to know God and to turn from our old ways to his ways. Repentance is the choice to leave a life of sin, selfishness, and flesh and turn to God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength to follow Jesus. There must be repentance to come into the knowledge of God. We're talking about knowing God. There must be repentance To come into the knowledge of God. Understand that coming into the knowledge of God. Will involve repentance from old ways of thinking. Talking and the way we do life. Coming into the knowledge of God. And this is number four. Involves prayer. It involves prayer. There's a powerful prayer in Ephesians 1, 17-18 about knowing God that every believer should pray regularly. I want to read this to you, Ephesians 1, 17 from the NIV. I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit, Of wisdom and revelation. So that you may know him better. Church let me say this. We're not talking about natural knowledge. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Revealing truth to your heart. Through the spirit of wisdom. And the spirit of revelation. It is the supernatural work of God. Causing you. To know God. That in ways that you will never know God. Intellectually. You will never know God. Without the Holy Spirit. Revealing him to you. Notice the phrase. I keep asking. I could say. I keep praying. Church this is. These are very critical scriptures. I keep praying. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Revelation, that's how we know God. It's through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Then verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So our hearts are supernaturally enlightened. Church, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I must say I live this way. I depend upon this. I need answers To things that no man can give me. I need to hear from God. Have you ever suddenly you knew something? One second ago, you didn't know it. And then suddenly, you knew something. That's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That the Holy Spirit is releasing to you a facet of The knowledge of God. How I treasure that. Let's look at this in the Passion Translation. I pray that the Father of Glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the Spirit of Wisdom. Notice that word, riches. Church in Christ, we have all kinds of riches available to us that he would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us his Holy One. Church, Jesus paid such a tremendous price for us that he calls us his inheritances. He's inherited every one of us as his treasure. In other words, church, the way God looks at it, we make him wealthy. I just think that is absolutely amazing. He treasures us so much that he sent his son to pay the price for our sin, to shed his blood and give his life for our sin. And then he says, you're my treasure, you Make me wealthy. Why would we not seek to know such a God? Hallelujah. There are two very important things to understand. Number one, all light and enlightenment comes to us from the Holy Spirit. God will supernaturally reveal the knowledge Of Him Himself to us through the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. With the natural mind, man cannot know the things of God. That's very important to understand. Many theologians are not born again, they're very academically studious and knowledgeable about God. But that natural mind that they have is actually in enmity against God. You cannot know God with your natural mind. It will take the spirit of wisdom and revelation for you and for me to know God. We must ask the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us from the word. And number two, this enlightenment... This light, this knowledge of God comes to the heart of the believer. The heart is the inner man. Just as our outward man has senses, the five physical senses, eyes, ears, smell, taste, and touch, so our inner man has these same five senses, church. Our inner man can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. So it's possible for us to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, open the eyes of my heart. Open my ears, not these ears, but the inner ear of the inner man. Open my ears to hear. Give me an understanding heart. Touch my heart, oh God, I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. So our, the senses of our inner man are dealt with by the power of the Holy Spirit. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. But church, it's not enough for me to ask and Pastor Davies to ask. It's important for us to ask, but it's important for you to pray for yourself. You pray and ask the Father, open the eyes of my heart that I may see you. Open my ears to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to me today. Open my heart. Give me a comprehending heart, Father, that I may lay hold of and receive the knowledge of God into my heart. The knowledge of God, church, is the highest possible knowledge. I don't care if you're a chemist, a physicist, I mean, there are all kinds of advanced mathematics. I can't even say the words. They're so advanced, extremely advanced mathematics and sciences and so on and so forth. But church, may, may I say this? and I don't want to sound arrogant or like I'm putting down that kind of knowledge. That knowledge is good. It comes from God. But the highest, the knowledge that impresses me is when someone can hear from God. They know something about God that I don't know. The highest possible knowledge is the knowledge of God. Refusing to seek the knowledge of God, church leads to corruption. Why do we have corruption in Kenya? It's refusing to seek the knowledge of God. Why? The Bible says that men refuse to seek the knowledge of God because they don't want the error of their ways pointed out. Why do men refuse to seek God? Because they don't want to be told what you're doing is wrong. This is ungodly. They don't want to hear that. So they refuse to seek the knowledge of God and they gather together and they tell one another in their sin and in their error how wonderful they are. They give each other awards. They hold ceremonies for each other. They congratulate one another on their sin and on their error. Church, are you with me? I'm not impressed by that at all. Refusing to seek the knowledge of God leads to corruption. Men doing what is right in their own sight for their own benefit. They're thinking only of themselves. It leads to condemnation. It leads to idolatry. What is idolatry? Well, we substitute lies for truth. Idolatry is substituting a lie for the truth. It leads to immorality and all indecency. Going I believe next week I'm going to show you, I believe, a small video that is very significant for Kenya. Andrew, please remind me to get that to you. It's a prophecy about Kenya that was sent to me. Soon as I watched it, I totally agreed with it. It's a warning for Kenya. I want us to see it. I want us to act on it because I I totally witness that this is the truth. See, refusing to seek the knowledge of God and congratulating one another on error and sin, and all the things that are in opposition to God, church brings about all manner of indecency. The believer must grow in the knowledge of God. It's not enough to know Jesus as Savior. We want to know Him as Father, Counselor, Friend, Helper, Healer, Deliverer, and Baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And I want to close with this true story church this is a true story in american history there was a woman named Hedy green. Hedy, hetty green hetty h e t t y hetty green and she lived over 100 years ago she was she is famous for being america's greatest miser M-I-S-E-R. Tina, do we know that word miser? We know it. Oh, that's so good. She had the dubious distinction of being America's greatest miser. A miser is a wretched person, unhappy, stingy. Everyone say stingy. Fearful person who holds on to every coin. She ate her oatmeal cold because it cost too much money to heat it up. Her son had to have his, this is a true story, had to have his leg amputated because Hetty Delayed his treatment so long, looking for a free clinic to treat him. He, his, his wound in his leg progressed until he was untreatable. They had to amputate his leg. She was wealthy, but she lived like a pauper. She died having a stroke because she was arguing with someone about the benefits of skimmed milk. So she got into a big fight with them over that. She lived her life as a pauper. Yet when she died, she left an estate worth over $100 million. Over $100 million dollars. Everyone say Hetty Green. Say Hetty Green Church. You're not going to follow Hetty Green. She lived a life as a miser and as a pauper, yet left an estate of over one hundred million dollars. Church, let's agree we're not going to live our lives like Hetty Green Christians. Everyone say I'm not a Hetty Green Christian. In other words, we live as a pauper. We live as a desperately poor Christian, and I'm talking about poor in every way—not just talking about money or houses or anything like that. But it's possible to have plenty of money in a, in a house. She did. And yet live like a pauper. Christians can do the same thing. Because they refuse to know God. And obey Him. And so we live a very small, stingy, Christian life. Because we don't know God. Because we're not seeking to know Him. Because we're not passionate about His Word, and about His presence. We can be a hetty, green Christian with all the riches of glory available to us, but we never came to know God. And so we live a very small Christian life. Let's all agree today we're not going to be Hetty green Christians. We're just not going to do that. We're going to seek to know God. We're going to pursue God. We're going to pursue the riches of His grace that are poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of every blessing, beginning with the spiritual blessing of knowing Him. And may I say, there is no greater blessing than knowing God. And I want to close with two scriptures John 17 and verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you said. And now listen to it in the Passion Translation. Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God. And to know and experience Jesus Christ as the son whom you have sent. And then Jeremiah 9, beginning with verse 23. 23 and 24a message. Okay. God's message, don't let the wise brag of their wisdom, don't let heroes brag brag of their exploits, don't let the rich brag of their riches. If you brag, brag of this and this only, that you understand and know me, I am God and I act in loyal love. I do what's right and say things right and fair and delight in those who do the same things. These are my trademarks. Pastor Dave, isn't that good? If you brag, church, if you're going to brag about anything, brag about knowing and understanding God. Hallelujah. Did you receive anything from the word today? I pray church, this is putting us on such an accurate path of walking with God. This year, a fruitful path, a good path, one that will bring forth much blessing. Hallelujah. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to pray over you as you stand. Would you lift your hands before the Lord? Out of your own heart, begin to thank God for his word. Father, we treasure your word. And we do thank you that the spirit of wisdom and revelation has been working with us today. That you've worked in each one of our hearts and our inner man, conforming our inner man to your will. Father, I believe I can speak for everyone within the sound of my voice that we pray And ask for the knowledge of God to transform our lives, to change our thinking and to change our motives, to change our purposes and our passions. May passion for the word of God and passion for the presence of God be formed Within each one of us. And Father we thank you for the knowledge of your will. As we go forth from this place today. That we do not walk alone. But I pray that each one will be led by the Holy Spirit Father. That you will order our footsteps. In the way you would have us go. And Father, I pray for the building up of this body, for the strengthening of each and every one of our lives in the knowledge of God. I pray a prayer I've prayed oh so many times, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would open our ears to hear, and you would open our hearts to comprehend the knowledge of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we would not be ignorant of the Word. And so we ask You, change our passions. Where we've been very passionate about other things and desiring other things, we're asking that you would change the desires of our hearts so that we would be passionate to know you, passionate to know the Word of God, and passionate to obey you. Change us, O God. Transform our inner man. May our inner man be conformed to the image of Christ. May Christ be formed within us. Father, may we not stay the same as we are today, but may we be transformed into the very image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone who agrees with this prayer says, amen and amen.